What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown podcast. Okay, guys, we're here. We're live, and it's um, it's not a fun episode. I, I don't think this one's going to be too in- incredibly long. I'm your host, Jake Burns. In case you didn't know, this episode is built around breaking down everything gathered from the Browns' 39-17 loss to the Dolphins in Miami, uh, which is which is a real. It was really gross. It was one of the worst games of the week. I mean, a ton of games played by teams that were very lopsided in talent, and by far the biggest discrepancy in point total. And I think, I think we can all agree, you know, sometimes I try to take a step back. Like I took yesterday off. I didn't want to post another reaction from game TV broadcast view, a reaction to this one after the OBR Twitch post, which I put up Sunday. And there's just, sometimes I don't want to talk about this team. I mean, this is an everyday pod. That's cool. It's a job. I I do it. But like, like you who, who probably gets frustrated and tunes out some of the things that go on on Sunday, like I just need to remove myself from it because when they put together performances like we saw on Sunday, it's like, man, I don't, I really just don't have the energy to talk about them. I don't have the energy to go down Negativeville, and that's where it's headed. There's really nothing positive to take from this game. I'm not going to sp- spend a ton of time breaking down the game by game. I'm not going to spend, sorry, play by play, drive by drive stuff that I normally do, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time boring you with like any net positives because there really were none. So we're going to have to take a trip down Negativeville, talk about it. And then just flush it away. We'll talk about player performances, which because in this one there were a ton of ugly player performances. The first time in a long time the Browns haven't had a player even graded above. I don't think they had a player graded above 76 collectively on either side of the football. So that tells the story in and of itself. We'll talk through the stats real quick. Nick Chubb in this one, 11 carries, 61 yards, a touchdown bottled up. He had one breakaway run for 33 yards. Otherwise, it would have been a really, really ugly performance. And yeah, he only had 11 carries because the Browns were playing from behind most of the game. And when they were running the football early in this one, before the game got out of hand, it was extremely inefficient. Extremely inefficient. I mean, Kareem Hunt goes six carries for nine yards. The reason the Browns get up over 100 is because Jacoby Brissett has seven attempts for 40 yards, including a couple of chunk scrambles. And meaningless portions of this game otherwise the Browns this is one of their worst rushing performances of the year right up there with the New England game and what you can see is an offense that when it is unable to run the football or have some semblance of a balanced attack it gets extremely difficult for them to move the rock like it just is and and that's how it's going to be with Jacoby Brissett because he's not a, a total improviser and I didn't think Jacoby played all too bad in this one like I thought he was fine we'll talk about it a bit later as he went 22 of 35 for 212 and a touchdown but he is just not going to create out of thin air. And I'm telling you in this game, in, in these coverages and how Miami played man most of the day, like there wasn't a ton of things to create. Now Watson's a bit more intuitive. You can get a little more, little more creative with him in scheme, but like 
he would have had to do some superhuman stuff, getting out, creating, running, and, and finding people downfield that, you know, Jacoby wasn't like, it wasn't like he was missing a ton of those opportunities, again, when he scrambled for 40 yards himself. So uh, offense was extremely putrid, and we'll dig a bit more into that in just a bit. Donovan Peoples-Jones gets nine targets in this game, catches five of them for 99 yards. Amari Cooper catches all three of his targets for 32. David Bell catches three for 24. Nick Chubb, three for 18. Harrison Bryant, three for 15, including the lone touchdown. Farrell Brown catches two of his five targets for 13. Kareem Hunt, one for 10. Anthony Schwartz, one for three. Uh, otherwise, um, uh, Jarnis Johnson catches a screen for negative two yards, and Michael Woods has an incomplete target in his direction. Tackle leader, Sione Takitaki with 10. Grant Delpit with 10. Deion Jones with nine, Denzel Ward with eight. They were on the football field enough, and especially tells you that the second level and third level guys were getting a ton of tackles. That's because they couldn't stop the run, and those tackles were being made uh, plenty far downfield. Jeff Wilson led the Dolphins uh, with uh, 17 carries for 119 yards, seven yards per rush, and a touchdown. Raheem Mostert ran eight times 65 for 8.1 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Salvin Ahmed came in at the end for three carries, 11 yards. Um, passing game-wise, Tua Tagovailoa, extremely efficient, very much unpressured, 25 of 32 for 285, three touchdowns. Skylar Thompson in the JV portion of the end of the game came in and threw a short throw that ended up being stretched out to 17 yards. Jalen Waddell, five targets, four catches, 66 yards. Trent Sherfield, four, uh, five targets, four catches, 63 and a touchdown. Alex Ingold, the fullback who was extremely active in this game on the field, a ton for Miami. Four catches and four targets, 45 and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill, five for 44 and a touchdown on six targets. Jaseki, two for 32, sorry, two of three targets, um, or, you know, two catches on three targets, 31 yards. Jeff Wilson, two of five for 24. Mostert catches all four of his for 22. Cedric Wilson has one catch for seven yards. Uh, Landon Roberts had, and he had a pop on Nick Chubb in this thing in the run game early that I thought set the tone. He had... Seven tackles, Jerome Baker, seven tackles. Christian Wilkins was a menace in the middle of that Miami defense. Seven tackles, Jordan Bethel had six, and then uh, Vernon McKinley had five. Uh, Alex Van Ginkle also had five. Overall net stuff, first downs, the Browns had 20. Miami had 29. Uh, very efficient, 29 first downs for Miami. Six of 11 third downs, and they only got to third and more than six on three occasions. Um, offensive play, and that's with their first unit. Offensive play, 62 for Cleveland, 67 for Miami. Average gain, 7.3 for Miami to 4.8 for Cleveland. Net rushing, 112 to 195 for Miami. Net passing, 185 to 296 for Miami. Balanced in penalties, 6 and 5. Turnovers, 1 for Cleveland, 0 for Miami. Uh, no punts for Miami. Only one punt for Cleveland. Both teams failed on a fourth down and then kicked field goals. The difference is Miami puts up five touchdowns to Cleveland's two, and they put up two field goals to Cleveland's one, and they had the football for seven minutes more. So 33 to 26 in terms of minutes of uh, time of possession. I continue to talk about the formula. Did the Browns get 10 to 15 more plays? They did not. They did not win the turnover department, and they lost time of possession, all of which are going to equal a struggle. And that's what we saw in this one was Miami highly efficient, among many other things that we'll talk about here in just a minute, uh, they were highly efficient, highly effective, and and just outproduced Cleveland in every conceivable way. The game swung in what coaches talk about the f- most important eight minutes of the game, the four minutes before half and the four minutes after half. Cleveland punts with about a minute 30 left. They give it away. Miami gets the football before halftime and scores an all-important touchdown 
with 37 seconds left, right? So they score it pretty quickly uh, right before half. That key touchdown that gives the Browns the football back with very little time ends up putting them up 17-7, to goes into halftime. They get the football coming out of halftime, right? Get it, go down three minutes and 25 minutes, uh, 25 seconds of possession, six plays, 70 yards after the plays before half was seven plays, 53 yards. And that's, uh, you know, it's a 24 seven game at that point, And it's just completely different. The Browns are playing catch up football and that's pretty much all she wrote. That's pretty much all she wrote. The Browns went down and got a field goal to cut it to 24 10, but then Miami gets it back, goes 13 plays, 77 yards, another touchdown to make it 30 to 10 and at that point the game is over even though Cleveland scores to make it 30-17 but it's just too little too late so that's where the game was swung right before half the Browns couldn't mount a drive to give themselves a chance to tie it at 10 or potentially take a 14-10 halftime lead give it back at 17-7 as you can't stop Miami from scoring a touchdown and then you can't stop them coming out from halftime and all of a sudden it's 24-7 to and that's pretty much all she wrote so uh, again, not going to bore you with anything in terms of going through a bunch of different possessions. We'll come back after this break. We're going to take just one break in this episode, come back and talk through the performances, the data metric stuff, and just kind of what I thought from watching the All-22 on both sides. We will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, it's me, Jake, telling you again about the fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR. Very simple. Just OBR. Get that sign-up bonus, right? Get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app, safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app. Ohio, it's your chance to get in on the action. Join today. Again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer, 21 and older. Got to be present in Ohio. Bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, we're going to start with offense. And this one, it is... Pretty bad. The The highest grade was a 76.9, and this was the highest grade across both sides of the football. 
that high grade came from Yodi Froholt, who came in about um, 12 snaps in. White Teller played 11 snaps before leaving with the calf injury re-aggravation. Froholt came in and graded a 76.9, and I can't for the life of me figure out why. I guess they're saying his run blocking was that much more effective to overcome the, the 23.7 pass blocking grade that he was uh, awarded, and I think that's being generous. This was the worst collective upfront performance I've seen from the Browns' offensive line this year, period. They were out-muscled, out-physical. They, they, I mean, I don't know if, if Miami had a, a key sense of like their snap count stuff. Like it, it felt like the Browns were on their heels like in large points, and I'm talking bull rushes. Uh, they didn't handle any twist exchange stuff very well. On, on line stunts, they usually are pretty crisp at handing those off, and they were they were really ineffective in passing double teams and handling the backside of run blocking. So we'll dig into the offensive line first. Uh, look at this group. So if we if we talk about run blocking stuff, they gave Froholt and Posich strong marks in uh, in the in the zone stuff. The Browns only ran eight zone to seven gap runs. They didn't run it a ton. Those three get strong grades including zone grades of 93 for Froholt, 85.3 for Potsich, and Joe, Joel Batonio a 73.0. Um, Jedrick Wills got a 52.6, so that's one of the low scores. And then Jack Conklin, and, and what might be his worst collective game in a Browns uniform, he grades at a 31.8 run blocking wise. And I wish it could say it got better in pass blocking, but he was just dominated. Melvin Ingram put him on a highlight reel in this one. He actually... Conklin in the run phase had an even worse 33.6 in the gaps uh, scheme stuff. So I don't know if he's going through something like it seems like lately Conklin's been playing worse than he has in a while. His last two games, Cincinnati, he struggled immensely with the 55.4 run blocking grade. And then at 31.8 this week, I'm not sure if there's something going on with Conklin. He just seems less sturdy. He seems less anchored. And his run blocking stuff has gotten a little bit lethargic, especially considering before this year, one of the best zone blocking offensive tackles in the entire NFL. So that part was disheartening. Wyatt Teller, pretty average scores. He only had three run blocking snaps while he was in the game. So not very good, guys. You you can deduce what, what it is here. I mean, James Hudson played five additional snaps as a, as a run blocker. He came in as the extra offensive lineman because... Uh, they didn't have Michael Dunn in this one. He was inactive with injury, and he was average, 50 grades, a 60 in zone, and a 53.8 uh, run block. The pass blocking stuff is where it gets extremely hard to to take a look at. I mean, you're talking just the guys who played the the high volume, 46. Uh, three guys played 46 uh, pass blocking snaps, played the entire game. Jack Conklin had a 42.8 grade. He gave up two sacks on his own, a hit and a hurry, a couple hurries, five total pressures. In true pass set situations, he had four total pressures allowed, including the two sacks and a penalty in his name as well and a holding right before half. So he gets a 36.9 true pass sets grade, 42.8 and run, or sorry, and just in general, even off play action. Uh, pass blocking grade, and I think that's fitting. Postage was worse, a 39.6 collective pass blocking grade, including giving up just one pressure. But the only reason he didn't get a, a high volume of pressures is because the ball was out before some of his misses, his, his, his true blown misses were, were in the quarterback's face. He had a 51.8 in true pass sets where he gave up one hurry 
uh, in that phase, but not a very good game from him. Betonio, maybe again, I'm not going to go through Joel's career, but this 30.4 pass blocking grade, including two hits, two hurries, and four pressures, probably the worst he's ever done. Struggled immensely off play action, which is not normal for him. He was actually fine with the 70 grade and true pass set stuff, which most of this game, late game, have to throw the football. Most of the second half was true pass set stuff. He was fine there. He didn't give up any pressures, but to give up four pressures off of play action and the run action stuff is extremely strange. Jedrick Wills with a 53.8 pass blocking grade, and I think this is being a little generous. Two hits, one hurry, three pressures allowed. Still doesn't finish plays and gets caught standing sometimes and watching the game, and it's it's so infuriating. But he's some he's he's the best they have at tackle because they they took Wills out at the end of the game for six snaps for Hudson. And it was atrocious. I've never seen a 2.8 pass blocking grade, but that's what James Hudson received in this one. He had uh, allowed two hits, one hurry, and three total pressures, including all of those coming with a 0.0 pass blocking grade and true pass sets. It was it was awful. He came in at the, the last drive where the game was over. They pulled Jedrick Wills for whatever reason. Jed had given up a pressure, a really lethargic rep pressure, they pulled him and brought Hudson in, and Hudson gave up four straight pressures right into Jacoby Brissett's lap and a couple crunching hits on him that were uncomfortable to watch. Wyatt Teller, before he left in only eight pass-blocking snaps, had a grade of 51.4 where he himself gave up a hurry and a sack before he left hurt. And then Yodi Froholt with a 23.7 while he was out there gave up two sacks of his own, one hurry, three pressures. It's it's bad. I mean, it's really bad all around. There's there's no positive to, to talk about with this group. I guess the supporting cast, Harrison Bryan, Nick Chubb, Farrell Brown, Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, and, and when Drew Forbes came into the game to play some some right guard for a little while, sorry, left guard for a little while. I mean, I don't <laughs> there's not much to talk about in a positive light. They just they all the, those guys were fine, but they they're not meaningful to what's I've just this is the worst offensive line performance I've seen, and they they can't afford to ever play this way. Even with Watson when he comes back, like they just they cannot afford to play this way. It's it's the, that's the worst formula for them to be a winning football team on offense. Jacoby Brissett, twenty two of thirty five, like I said, two twelve, a fifty eight point seven passing grade, which I thought was pretty low compared to what I thought it should be. He had one turnover worthy play, no big time throws a 9.4 average distance of target. He had uh, one throw away. He ended up taking three sacks, four scrambles, counted for 12 first downs on his own. He was, you know, kind of okay to below in, in all phase. I mean, he was under pressure in 20 of his 42 dropbacks. Nearly 50% pressure was in his face. Only 6 of 15 against pressure for 98 yards. When he was kept clean, he was really good. 16 of 20, 114, a touchdown. When he wasn't blitzed, he was 18 of 26, 153. When he was blitzed, it was 4 of 9, 59 and a touchdown. He was fine. I thought Jacoby was fine. I didn't think there was a ton of separation going on across the football field where I watched the film back and I'm like, oh, they he's just missing players open. I don't think that's the case. I thought Miami covered pretty well, so... I didn't leave this game thinking that that like there was a bunch of missed opportunities down the field throwing. Amari Cooper gets a 64.9 receiving grade. Donovan Peoples-Jones a 72.6 for Donovan. I thought he was pretty good in this one. He caught four first downs. He was 0 for 3 in contested catch, which is abnormal for him, especially that fourth down slant that he dropped 
and then he had another throw up the right sideline. He had a nice opening drive double move, a little comeback and go, um, you know, a little comeback go route that resulted in a long play down the sideline. I think it was a 38-yard gain, uh, but but an okay game, some really good. You saw what he does really well, and then I think you see some areas that he struggles with where separation against teams that want to play a ton of man coverage can give him some serious struggles. So, um, But again, 99 yards, five catches. I thought he was fine. I thought he played winning football for the most part. Uh, and again, Amari Cooper I thought was open on several occasions, got the football on some of them, a couple that were missed that – I'm sure Jacoby's going to want back, but they weren't glaringly obvious misses. Uh, they were open, but again, when you're dealing with 50% of your dropbacks have people in your face, your offensive linemen are getting bull rushed. It was hard, really hard quarterbacking for Jacoby Brissett. So otherwise, receivers that played, I mean, it's like uh, Harrison Bryan had a 62 grade. He caught three of you know three of three for 15 yards, a touchdown. Nothing else really stands out. David Bell, 21 slot snaps, which is about about what we're expecting with him. Three of five catches for 24. He's fine in this game. Kind of just seems to be what he does about that. Three catches, 20 to 40 yards target line for him where he catches a couple maybe first downs. Uh, they did. There wasn't a drop in this game that, that PFF charted. Actually, they did give Farrell Brown one drop, but I thought it was a contested drop. So I didn't see any egregious drops. There were two of eight in contested catch situations. David Bell was 0 for 2 in those contested catches, and we talked about Donovan Peoples-Jones, and then Farrell Brown with somebody on his back was 2 of 3. They caught 10 first downs. Uh, They only forced three missed tackles, two of which came by Nick Chubb on receptions. Harrison Bryant forced one on a nice drag route. He he forced um, a couple people to miss to gain one first down, but there wasn't a ton of yards created by this group in general. So, um, yeah, not, I mean, nothing really great to speak about in the receiving phase, just sort of everyone sort of did their job. Uh, in this one, run grades, Nick did not receive a very high run grade, largely because he fumbled. He only forced three missed tackles, only had 47 yards after contact. He did have a great touchdown run that ended up being his breakaway run of 15 or more yards, that 33-yard run where he he takes a little speed draw and turns it into a long touchdown run where he breaks a tackle on the left sideline. But, you know, when he got stuck early on that big hit from Roberts, and then when he fumbled, it really took the air out of, I thought it took the air out of the offense. It's very uncharacteristic fumble from him. Not a very good game. And then Kareem Hunt, when his opportunities were up, he had six carries for nine yards. There was really nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. I mean, I mean, like I, I can't say it again. Miami just controlled the line of scrimmage. Anytime the Browns had a sliver of an opportunity, somebody from the backside was making the play, running it down, or a linebacker was shooting the gap. Like Jerome Baker played extremely good football, just just disappointing across the board. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, offensively, we're kind of wrapping up this side of the ball. I mean, Kevin is doing some things well, but like. In this one, I, I thought we should have saw more creativity with screen game. I thought you could have tried a couple more bootlegs here and there. They did a little bit, but they, they didn't really – they're not doing a ton of things to create separations, not not seeing many pick plays, rub plays, especially when you know you're going to get a lot of man. So I am asking for some more outside-of-the-box thinking with the offense because right now I feel like they're a little stale. Teams have a good feel for max protection concepts – what they're going to be doing off of the run action. I thought if you watch the tape, and we will on Chalk Talk tomorrow night on Tuesday night, like I thought the Dolphins didn't really care much about play action and, and said, you guys are 
pretty committed to these looks are going to be what are play action looks for you. We're going to just sort of sit back and zone. They don't have great underneath answers in the scheme right now. So I just think that they're they're stale offensively and they need to sort of switch up some of the things they're doing to create some more cheap yards. Nothing's coming cheap in the passing game. The screen game, like I said, they did a couple screens late, but at that point it didn't really matter. Miami was redirecting really well to it. So, um, yeah, just not a very great offensive game, largely because they didn't run it well and they got their butt kicked in pass protection up front. But I do want to see some different scheme wrinkles than they're typically throwing out right now. So I'm asking for some of those rub plays, some of those different concepts. Uh, I didn't see a ton of flood com- flood concepts, three to a side, largely because Miami doesn't run a ton of zone, but I just I just didn't feel like they, were, they created. I would say Kevin would grade himself on getting guys open. I didn't think there were a lot of people open in this game. So when your run game struggles, your offensive line gets their butt kicked, the Browns are going to struggle to to really be an effective offense. So we saw what that looks like quite closely in this one. So we're going to take our last break, just a quick one, and we'll return and finish up, talk about an ugly defense performance. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so on this side, it's going to sound pretty familiar uh, to what we've said earlier in the year and what we talked about the offense. They didn't play hard. They, they got their rear ends kicked up and down the field on Sunday, and the run phase stuff was bad at the defensive tackle, defensive end, and linebacker level on separate occasions that led to big runs. And the big runs were, I'm talking, you guys watched it, embarrassing level of just easiness for the opposition. I'm talking five or six yards downfield at times before an initial contact happens. One person being the only available tacker on a scheme because people don't redirect or fight pressure or do things above the, the ask of what they're supposed to do. So you leave one person. If one person's out of position, that means the entire scheme is wide open. It is. It was so frustrating. First watching it live, going back and rewatching, and I wrote it up. It's at the OBR. You can go look at the big chunk run plays, and and they're va- they're available for you. Uh, to to decipher like I thought Miami played so hard it felt like they had 12 defenders on the field on on defense and I thought the way the Browns played run defense and some of the space they were allotting because of the fear of Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill felt like the Browns were playing with 10 defenders on defense so um I, I don't know it just was it was a really hard watch and and they got their butts kicked and it felt like Miami very clearly knew the Browns were going to try to do all they could to bottle up open field coverage, 
play as much over the top, you know, guys out of run fit. You know, you're not gapped out if you don't have a safety walk down. So they were going to take advantage of run opportunities. They ran, uh, you know, 70%, 21 personnel with a fullback on the field and were running split zone up and down the field because they knew they had the Browns outgapped because the Browns were afraid to, to be beat over the top by Waddle and Hill. And they just kept taking advantage of it until they got tired of it. If they wanted to just continue to run the football, they could have run for 300 yards. Not a doubt in my mind. But they wanted to use some of their pass game stuff to get some of their guys opportunities. And even though the Browns committed a lot of resources to, to, to stopping throws deep down the field, it didn't stop them from giving up chunk plays in the underneath and the intermediate portions. Um, talking about grades in general, Grant Delpit gets your highest grade at 73.2. Miles Garrett gets your second highest grade at a 69.9. I posted a clip where I just think sometimes I love Miles Garrett. I think he's a great football player, but there are some times where he is just completely unwilling to play the run and just will will stop and, and show minimal effort. And it's like, if you are the leader of the defense, man, which we all believe Miles is because he takes on that mantle at times, he cannot put poor effort on tape for, for idiots like me to see and question, and he does it far more often than you would like to see, and it's a trickle-down effect. I mean, listen, I'm going to be honest. The Browns have a bunch of DBs who love to defend the pass. Denzel, Greg Newsom, Greedy, and some of these others uh, love to defend the pass, but they don't like to tackle, and that's a big concern that I have about Greg Newsom in the slot is I think he's a nice slot coverage defender uh, for the most part, but he, he is an unwilling tackler. He just doesn't like to mix it up and get inside and play the and play a run fit and tackle. And that's a huge part of being a nickel defender, especially in this four down scheme, is you have to be a willing run fit defender. And Troy Hill, not very big, but boy, he was willing to come in and hit people and play run defense. And that's just not something Greg Newsom's willing to do week to week. And like I think he's a fine player and I think he should be playing outside corner. If he's going to be a slot player for them, his lack of physicality in the box when he has to get inside and play it, it's a it's a glaring issue. And it popped up again today. I mean, and, and Grant Delpit gets the highest grade, but there was a question asked to Kevin Stefanski why DeAnthony Bell was on the field for the first snap and something internal. So is Grant Delpit in trouble? Like he didn't start this game. I mean, he played 66 snaps. He played as many as John Johnson and some of the others. He was on the field a ton, but he, I mean, he did, he's something happened off the field. So that's sort of a microcosm of things. Your other people moving on your other people with higher grades, Denzel Ward gets a 68.5. And then Jadevian Clowney is your next highest who anybody who played above uh, 40 snaps with the 57.9. So uh, just just really ugly stuff uh, collectively on defense. We'll work through position by position. The run defense grades in this one, I'm pretty stunned. Jordan Kunisek gets the highest grade in 11 run defense snaps with a 71.2 because I highlighted just several plays where I thought he didn't even have a feel for where the football was being run. He gets two stop tackles, so I guess that vaults him into a higher grade. Clowney was the only upfront guy who I thought played it pretty well, 67.1 for him including two tackles and two stop tackles. Next highest, Alex Wright, 62.4. Working down the line, Miles Garrett, a 55.7. Down at the bottom of this thing, there are a lot of guys in the red, man, and it's justified. Tony Fields looks lost when he's on the field, uh, 28.3. Tommy Togiai, 28.3. Just gets moved laterally out of his run fit so easily. He doesn't eat double teams and he's moved at the point of attack out of his run fit. What good is that guy doing on the field? He gets no pressures. 
it's an absolute terrible pick, and it's just resulting in week after week hurting the defense more than helping. Ronnie Harrison, who they thought they could bring in to mix it up and be a big nickel, he was bad. He was just magnetized to blocks, didn't play with any physicality, 28.9, Ward a 32.4. Deion Jones has been a net negative since he's come over. Slow reaction, doesn't process, missing tackles, a 40.4. Taven Bryan, 42.9. Sometimes Taven Bryan is just so... Uh, he's so unaware of people moving around him and what offensive linemen are trying to do against him, and it just hinders his overall run defense. And, again, it's just tough to watch. And then Greg Newsom with the 47.5. The run stuff was was just was just bad. Only nine stop tackles on the day, which is indica- indicative of, of, of a team that didn't have much impact at the line of scrimmage. Five missed tackles. Not a ton of missed tackles, but, again, tackles happening deep downfield. And, and, you know, that's what it gets. But, again, like Tony Fields on the touchdown run, the last touchdown run, which was a 20-yard Jeff Wilson touchdown run, is right there. And, again, I wrote this up. You can watch the video at the OBR. Right there for the tackle, but just gets shook out of his shoes. So he doesn't even get a missed tackle because he didn't get a hand on the guy, even though he's right there unblocked to make the tackle. Same thing happened to Jordan Kunizic on a snap. Same thing happened to Deion Jones on another snap. He didn't find the guy carrying the football until it was too late and just he's already passed him so it's not a missed tackle it's not charted that way but you're there to make the play and you don't make it they need JOK back in the worst way and I just continue to think Anthony Walker's injury has crippled this linebacker unit because Jacob Phillips has been bad and a lot of them have just they've just been hard to watch Taki Taki was again fine he was a 60.9 run defense grade uh, he's he's okay. He's a sort of baseline linebacker. He's fine uh, in this one. So uh, overall, overall, that's that's your run defense. We'll talk pass rush grades in a second. But they allowed Tua Tagovailoa with three big time throws is what he was charted with Pro Football Focus on those no turnover worthy plays. They allowed a ninety point eight pass grade to him as far as getting some pressure on him. He was only under pressure on seven of thirty two total dropbacks. So you you do the math there. Not much pressure at all. He he had two touchdowns on those pressures and 51 yards. When kept clean, he was 21 of 25, 234 yards and a touchdown as well. So you know that that was a pretty easy day of work for Tua. Not much touch. Didn't really touch him. Didn't have an impact. Browns didn't blitz him much. It was uh it was it was again like I said really hard to watch. They didn't feel comfortable blitzing. They weren't getting pressure in their normal stuff. They weren't forcing Tua to feel uncomfortable in his first read to a second read. And all of that results in what we saw, which is a guy who picked them apart in pretty much every facet. The Browns, like I said, only blitzed on seven dropbacks. So low number there. Played a decent amount of man. The man wasn't bad, but uh, they, they they certainly didn't change or alter any course of, play, of, of results of, uh, of plays from – playing man-to-man and disrupting people at the point of attack. And I thought Miami created some separation they needed to create, including a touchdown pass there on, a, on an all-out blitz near the goal line to uh, to Tyreek Hill. So, I, I mean, I, the pass coverage was fine in general. It just it just they didn't put – they didn't get Miami in very many third and longs. They couldn't really put hard throw pressure on Tua. He had a couple third down throws, one on a, a middle throw early in the game. He stepped up and hit a dig to Jalen Waddle, and he hit a middle throw to Jalen Waddle off two man that he hit where Newsom was trying to almost shade it underneath and just never had a feel for where the ball was. But those are the only long third down throws, no punts in this one, and a couple field goals. So they they had no issue moving it down the field. Pass rush wise, they only had eight pressures, one from Garrett, 
who gets the highest pass rush graded at 74.3. And again, the football was out pretty quick. Not that there was a ton of opportunity, but you know, you can deduce here eight pass rush snaps and in in that included one hurry for Sione Taki Taki. Jadevian Clowney had two total hurries, one from Roderick Perry, one from Jordan Elliott and two from Isaiah Thomas. So just not much to talk about in pass rush. I have no real positives to note in that one at, at all, really. Nobody stood out, right? Nobody stood out. Denzel Ward had the highest coverage grade, 78.4. He was he gave up four catches and five targets for 29 yards. I thought he was fine. He looked comfortable. And I thought he'd be good in that game because that's a team that he's got a bunch of, you know, they have a bunch of receivers he's comfortable covering. So I thought he'd be okay. Delp at a 73.2. He wasn't targeted down the line. Uh, A.J. Green in eight coverage snaps is 67.9. At the bottom, Deion Jones allowed five catches for 59 yards in his direction, 34.1. Taki Taki, 38.0. As Deion Jones also allowed a touchdown, that Alex Engel touchdown where he's just sort of standing. Greg Newsom gives up a touchdown, that Tyreek Hill drag over the middle. He doesn't get a hand in there to knock it away. 39.6. Kunizic a 42.0. So three linebackers with grades in the 42s. We thought the linebackers would have to cover well. That did not happen. Ronnie Harrison, a 46.0. Martin Emerson, a 49.3, as he allowed three or four for 44 yards. Greg Newsom, six of seven in his direction, 73 yards in a touchdown. So, um, But again, if they would have just played the pass solo, I think if they would have put them in Miami in any difficult situations because they stopped the run and put the onus on making two or throw the football downfield a ton it could have been a different outcome but they didn't they had to balance trying to play the run because they couldn't stop it and then they you know two and and the company were able to create some play action some different sneaky little concepts because the browns were so worried about at the second and third level stopping the run that's the trickle down effect a lot a lot a lot of open open players for Tua to throw to man not many difficult throws for him to make in this game a couple difficult but not very many so you know it's uh Mike McDaniel's doing a great job scheming for them, and their 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 guys are resonating with with how defenses are are playing their coverage, and they took advantage of run fit stuff with the Browns like crazy. They they had to be foaming at the mouth this week coming up with a game plan for how to give Cleveland trouble on defense, and they perfectly nailed it. So you know the big thing for me as we wrap up here is I, I'm not sure you could be more disappointing coming out of the bye week in terms of like. Just just effort levels, desire to play hard, schematically being different and unique with two weeks to prepare. Uh, you know, guys just answering the call of adversity. Like I just there's nothing positive. There's really nothing positive to take from it. And you look at it week to week and you're like, how can you have an a bye week time off comeback and that is what you put on the field? You know, I know Kevin Stefanski talked about you go into every game with confidence. He didn't see this coming, and I, I I'm sure he didn't, but to show up and lay that big of an egg in a game that your guys know they need to continue to fight scrap and, and be in it to, to get past this three-game stretch. with You're going to go to a pissed-off Buffalo team on the road in what looks like nasty weather. Buffalo coming off two losses, ready to get back on the right track. Then you go Tampa Bay, who's playing better, coming off of a bye week, coming to Cleveland like... I, I don't know. I don't have a I just don't have much to say very positive right now. I, I mean I've put it out there where I think that things need to happen, changes that need to be made down the line, but for now, I don't really understand how like the leadership from the top down, both coaches and players to have your guys ready to play, to put that on the field and just to be 
to go into Miami and just be outmanned across the board like that was so jarring to me. Not just defensively, which I expect it with their D tackles, but like the way the ends played, the way the linebackers played, and then and then specifically the way the offense played in the O line and just how they felt like they were. It just felt like a team that didn't want to be there. It's so hard for me to process that, and I'm just I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in them in general, but you know, my disappointment doesn't mean anything. So hopefully there'll be something more positive to talk about later in the week. Reminder chalk talk coming up Tuesday night. Check that out on the OBR Twitch and YouTube. You can find that. And then we'll have our usual Jared Mueller, Jordan Zerm and John Colosimo hits later in the week. Thanks for stopping by today, guys. If you have any questions, hit me up at the OBR or on Twitter, wherever you would like. Have a great day. Go Browns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.